Golden State Warriors basketball. Shoots over Danny Green. Rainbow! Nothing but net! How did he do it? The fifth three-point shot of the night for Steph Curry. This is Warriors Roundtable with the voice of the Warriors, Tim Roy. Clay Thompson to the paint. Stripped by Draymond. Loose ball, Iguodala. A foot race with RJ. Drives all the way up and down. A two-hand slam for Iguodala. What a night on Sunday for the Golden State Warriors. An easy victory over the Utah Jazz. A night where Steph Curry and Klay Thompson each had 30-plus points. First time they had ever done that together. In fact, Steph Curry became the first player in NBA history to record 30 points and 15 assists while logging less than 30 minutes. That coming to you from Elias. And the Warriors retweeted that a day ago. Just a tremendous night for Steph Curry. In fact, that was his third 30.15 assist game over the course of the season. And in the last 25 years, players who have 30.15 assist games include Curry, Tim Hardaway, John Stockton, and Magic Johnson. That is tremendous company that Steph Curry is keeping. Hi, everybody. I'm Tim Roy. And once again, I ask you to take a seat around the roundtable, the Warriors Weekly Roundtable here on KMBR 680, the sports leader. As Golden State gears up for another playoff appearance, we're looking back now at some of the Warriors' history. A big weekend for Golden State over the Final Four, as always. The Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame announced their new Hall of Fame inductees, and they include former Warriors star guard Mitch Richmond, who won Rookie of the Year as a Golden State Warrior. Also, Sherudus Marshallonis, who was inducted via the international wing of the Basketball Hall of Fame. And also, the Veterans Committee voted in the Warriors' all-time assist leader, Guy Rogers, into the Hall of Fame. And to top that off, the man who has been associated with the Warriors longer than anyone, the great Al Adels, will be given the Lifetime Achievement Award presented at the Hall of Fame induction ceremonies this fall. So, all in all, great weekend for the Bay's team the Golden State Warriors, and we'll address that in just a couple of moments. I'll answer your questions on our Warriors Vox Twitter segment. We'll look at what the Warriors are doing off the floor. Then talking some round ball with Sean Powell, the great writer and the former head of the Pro Basketball Writers Association. We'll talk about Rick Barry, the playoffs, and the bad luck of Andrew Bynum. That's all coming this hour here on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. I, Tim Roy, Warriors back in action on Thursday when they take out the Denver Nuggets, and it's a Splash Brothers night filtered by Britta. It's when the Warriors take on Denver. You can buy your tickets and have the chance to receive a Splash Brothers cheer car, plus a three-point foam finger courtesy of Britta. Get your official Splash Brothers night tickets at warriors.com slash dynamic. We'll continue with a look at the Hall of Famers as the Warriors Weekly Roundtable continues on KBR 680, the sports leader. Golden State Warriors basketball. Lee wrestles away the rebound, leads the three on two, finds Bogut running the floor, and he throws it down with two hands. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. Well, the Warriors Weekly Roundtable continues. Tim Roy with you. Coming up later on the hour, Sean Powell of Sports on Earth. We'll talk about the Warriors and their chances to go far in the Western Conference playoffs. But first, the Warriors are celebrating Fan Night powered by Adobe. It's next Monday, April 14th, the final home regular season game of the season. And it's a night to honor you, the best fans in the NBA. All fans in attendance will receive a fan-designed T-shirt courtesy of Adobe. 
Limited tickets are still available. Get your official Warriors tickets tonight at warriors.com slash dynamic. The news came out over the weekend that the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame announced that former Warriors guard Mitch Richmond was elected as one of 10 members of the class of 2014. He'll be joined by former Warriors Sharunas Marshallonis and Guy Rogers, who were named as direct elects on February 14th. In addition, Warriors legend Alvin Adels will receive the Basketball Hall of Fame's 2014 John W. Bunn Lifetime Achievement Award. Right now, we'll look back on the careers of these great basketball players. Mitch Richmond, a six-time NBA All-Star, was originally selected by Golden State with the fifth overall pick of the 1988 NBA draft. He spent his first three years with the Warriors, averaging over 22 points a night, over five rebounds, and 3.4 assists, 1.3 steals. He was also named the NBA Rookie of the Year as a Golden State Warrior. A couple years back, I had a chance to talk with Mitch Richmond about his days with the Warriors and his career in the NBA. Hand checked by Starks. Dribble, left block. Mitch goes baseline to the basket. Strong and scores. Monster move by Rock. One of my all-time favorite NBA players, Mitch Richmond, joins us. What was it like playing with Molly? Well, I only played with Molly uh, three years, uh, but, you know, my first year, uh, I think it was uh, Mully's first year from uh, coming out, coming back from some of the troubles he had uh, in his beginning of his his career. Uh, so I didn't get to uh, experience any of those things. I know when I first seen him on the scene, my first year he was he was in shape and ready to go, and we just jailed and, and we clicked right away. Um, it was something unique that you know it was a one-two punch at the time, and we just jailed right away. Our, our games. Uh, he took my game to another level about, you know, working out in the summertime, uh, developing my jump shot, um, and, uh, and stretching my, actually, my range a little bit. And you were drafted by the Warriors in 1988, coming out of Kansas State. Right. And I, at the time, I was working uh, some uh, pre-half and post-game uh, duties for the Phoenix Suns radio mm-hmm. network. And the then coach of the Suns, the legendary Cotton Fitzsimmons, before that 88 draft, he came into our uh, studio one night, and he said, he pointed to a couple of names on the list, and one of them was yours, he says, this guy's really good, he's going to be a really mm-hmm. good basketball player, so I had a, I, I had a little forewarning uh, uh, for, <laughs> about about you, but, but 22 points a game your rookie year, you win mm-hmm. the NBA Rookie of the Year award, that had to be unbelievable, not only just the fact that you get to the NBA, but then to win Rookie of the Year? Yeah, it was a it was a great great time, and uh, you know a little story about Cotton Simmons. I I feel like I followed Cotton uh, throughout his career. I, Cotton uh, actually coached at my junior college in Mobley Junior College, and then he went on to Kansas State, and then I actually followed him to the NBA. So we have a a, a great history, and uh, and I remember Cotton uh, when I saw him said, "Hey, you know, if you're around, uh, I'm definitely going to draft you." Uh, but I didn't make it to, I think, number nine that year. He, he drafted Dan Marley, and uh, I made it to number five. But, yeah, being drafted by the Golden State Warriors, my first team, I, I really and truly uh, loved the area, I loved the team. I loved how we played. Uh, and I just had an opportunity to actually come in right away, start, uh, get familiar with the offense. And um, and I think just by, by being with, with Chris and some of the guys on that team, uh, Larry Smith, Terry Teagle, Sharunas Marshallonis the next year. Uh, you know, it really helped me uh, and propelled me and Rod Higgins, one of my, my good friends, to 
to actually win the uh, the, the rookie of the year. It was actually a, definitely a team effort. And of course, starting with Run TMC, uh, mm-hmm. it's it's a an era that, as you point out, didn't didn't last all that long. Right, but right. Uh, it, it's still, as we were talking with Chris Mullen, it's still a, a, an era that that people, Warrior fans, NBA fans, talk about mm-hmm. just simply because right. you guys were so much fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, everyone always, uh, you know, come up to all of us and 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 say, "Man, how long were you guys together? Six, seven, eight years?" And uh, we actually, the the name Run TMC only we only played two years together. Uh, played three years with with Molly and two years with Tim, and then the name came that second year. But yeah, man, I mean, people still, you know, um, and still remember that name. Uh, they still identify us as a Run TMC. Um, you know, it's great. Uh, I think it was it was a fun time of basketball. It's was, it was probably one of my funnest times, uh, definitely team wise, uh, because I, I felt that we were we were not that far away. Uh, you know, we we competed with the uh, the Lakers in the second round that year, and I thought we just had an opportunity to add a couple more pieces, and we could be right there. Yeah, no question. You talk about some of the guys that that. that that you played with, and, and uh, mm-hmm. I asked you a little bit about Chris Mullen. Let's go to the other part of the uh, the run TMC part, the uh, the right. Tim part, and and uh, not only a guy that could distribute, but also a guy that could score with anybody. Right. Yeah. Well, you know that was a um, you know a, a bad combination if you're trying to guard that because the, the guy can get anywhere on the floor. Tim Hardaway. Um, you know, I remember Nelly trying to change the shot because he had like a knuckleball. And it took, and Nelly was cha- trying to change the shot for probably about two to three months, and he just said, "You know what? Forget it. Just shoot the way you've been shooting." <laughs> and uh, and and Tim, uh, he, he had a a little knuckleball shot, but man, it it went in, and he got to the rim. He was one of the quickest and strongest guards in the league that year, and I think he was blowing by everyone. Everyone remembers him as the best crossover in the game. Um, I enjoyed playing with him uh, because he was he was such a great passer, and he was a late passer. He was a qu- uh, he was an early passer. He was a guy to get in the lane and find you down low, find you outside. Uh, it was a good combination, a great combination for all three of us. Who were some of the other Warrior teammates that you enjoyed playing with in your man? Team? Man, all my team. I think that year I, I'm telling you, man was probably those years with Golden State. I, I felt like it was. It was a college atmosphere. We all stayed in the same area. Uh, we hung out. We our families went on vacations together. Uh, you can always see us in the gym uh, in the summertime. All of us together. Uh, you know, we had Larry Smith. Um, uh, we had uh, Terry Teagle. Ralph Sampson was on that team. Manu Bow was on that team. Sharunis was on that team. Uh, Mario Alley, Rod Higgins, uh, Vincent Askew was on that team. Uh, Winston Garland was on that team the year before. Uh, man, we just had a lot of uh, unique and, and, and great. But Jim Peterson, uh, Tom Tolbert. Uh, so we, we had we had we had a great great uh, uh, combination of players. But everyone really and truly got along, and we competed very well. Out out in Lister, uh, man, I guess so many guys. Yeah, a lot a lot of memories that you're bringing back yeah. there. Uh, Chris Mullen was recently quoted as saying, you know. If, if they retired number 17 in mm-hmm. Oakland, he'd like to have it retired at the same time they're retiring a run TMC banner. <laughs> Man, that's, that's, that's great. I mean, I know we, we only been there for, uh, you know, three years, but I think everybody identifies that name. 
they remember the Golden State Warriors, um, you know, because of that run TMC. Um, you know, I can remember being drafted, and I um, I went to church, uh, and I told one of my mom's friends that I got drafted by the Golden State Warriors, and she said, you know what, honey, don't worry about it. You keep working hard. One day you'll make it to the NBA. You know, no one ever heard of Golden State Warriors because most all the teams are, are you know, either the, the city where they're at. And uh, and Golden State was probably the only team way back when that's named Golden State. Uh, it wasn't like Oakland uh, Warriors, you know. Right. So right. Uh, a lot of people didn't, familiar, didn't, didn't understand Golden State was actually in the NBA. That was a funny story. I remember that. <laughs> and, of course, then you moved on. And when you went to Sacramento – uh, right. that's where I was at the time. And exactly. I'll, I'll say this, which is what I was saying when you were there. Uh, you played seven years there. You averaged just less than 22 a game uh, for mm-hmm. the Kings. And, and I said that there is, you know, the best player in the planet uh, was at the off-guard mm-hmm. position in the mm-hmm. NBA, and that was Michael Jordan. I said right. the second best off-guard in the NBA was Mitch Richmond. I truly believe that. Right. I thought there for yeah. a run of a few years you were playing at a really, really high level. Yeah, well, I tell you, man, if you can go back in, in that time in those days, I, I think uh, the two guard position probably was one of the toughest positions, uh, night in and night out. Uh, every place you went to, you know, you really and truly had to bring it in. And Michael was at the top of that list, you no doubt about that. Joe Dumas brought his unique style to the game. You had to go to Reggie Miller in Indiana, Clyde Drexler in Portland, uh, Ron Hopper in Cleveland. Uh, I mean, I mean, guys was everywhere. I mean, Rolando Blackman, you had Jeff Ballone, uh, you had uh, Ricky Pierce down in Milwaukee. Uh, I mean, it was it was such a unique talent. Alvin Robinson. I mean, man, I can go on and on. It was so many guys at that position that you really and truly had to bring it. You had to be tough and physical, and uh, you know, didn't you know, you know, just. Just had to play with a chip on your shoulder because that position really was a difficult position. And the the stat that I also throw at people is that you averaged twenty one point nine or better ten mm-hmm. years in a row, and then in the eleventh mm-hmm. year you got hurt in Washington and averaged nineteen point seven. Why do you right. think? Why do you think you were such a consistent scorer? Well, I think uh, one thing I always and truly. Um, I can remember being uh, having been my rookie year, and uh, I had a great year, 22 a game. And you always hear the stories about, um, uh, you know, uh, the, the second year jinx, or you right. know, uh, I think Sports Illustrated uh, put me on the cover, or they did something, and they're saying, you know, I'm being a jinx. I think one thing I wanted to do was work harder than I did to actually get to the next level. So I worked on uh, all parts of my game. I really didn't want to fall into a place where they said that I wasn't consistent or that I fell off. Uh, I just remember just trying to be consistent as possible, trying to make sure that every year I try to do the same or better um, and try try to be consistent. I know it was a tough feat, but um, I think I enjoyed competing every night, and I think uh, the guys that I was going with, going against, actually helped me make sure that I had to prepare because – you had to be 100% on top of your game. Or if not, you were going to get embarrassed. And, you know, Michael embarrassed every guy in the league. So you, it was a, a chip that I had to bring because at first I didn't really want to go to Sacramento. So it was something that I, I, I was so mad 
that I just wanted to take it out on every guy that I came up against. And I think that's what actually kept me um, to be consistent in Sacramento is that I played a game within the game. I just forgot about what the score was, and I just tried to – whatever guy was in front of me, I tried to destroy it. Well, John Nelson, of course, is the all-time wins leader in NBA history. He's he's Mm -hmm. admitted on more than one occasion that Mm -hmm. the trade that moved, the player personnel move that he regrets the most in his Mm -hmm. NBA career, and it's a long NBA career, was trading Mitch Richmond to Sacramento. He he always thought that that was his biggest mistake. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I I really, I could understand. I mean, that was a tough time at that particular time. I really didn't want to leave Golden State. Um, my first time uh, actually being in the NBA team and being young. But, uh, you know, Nelly was a unique coach. He did some unique lineups and, you know, some unique things. But I always thought he was a really and truly a great coach. Um, I just thought sometimes, you know, he gets beside himself. But as far as being a, a, a coach and, and a guy that knows the X's and O's and, and knew the insides and outs of the of this game, I think Nelly has always been uh, the, the top guy in that category. It's just some of the other areas that, you know, <laughs> you worry about. But other than that, basketball-wise, uh, the guy's truly unique in what he does. You had a lot of things that I don't think people realize about your career. Obviously, Rookie of the mm-hmm. Year, but you won two Olympic medals, bronze in 88, and you were on the gold 96 the Dream Team. Uh, mm-hmm. You won an NBA All-Star Game Most Valuable Player Award. I think I have a picture mm-hmm. of that in my office here somewhere. Uh, mm-hmm. And... You also won an NBA championship with the 01 02 uh, Lakers. I know you would have right. rather been, you know, winning a championship in the middle of your career, came in, in your yeah. final season. But would you look look back at that? That's a pretty mm. stout resume. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I, I listen. I can't complain, man. I, I, I had a great career, a great fourteen years. Uh, I wish I would have played a little bit more in that last, you know, winning the championship. Uh, but I I had years before that uh, you know guys played be- and I played before guys and they cheered me on um, who guys who played behind me and 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 that that whole year uh, I, I understood that hey it was my time was coming to the end so I wanted to cheer the guys on that who actually uh, who was playing in front of me so I remember the guys who I was playing in front of so I had to bring that same energy and bring the same character uh, so. I really enjoyed winning the championship because it's such uh, a unique feat. A lot of people can't get there, uh, and I had an opportunity to win the championship, so you can't take that away from me. But, yeah, when you look back on it, man, it's awesome. Uh, I love it. I mean, a lot of people don't know because I'm not a rah-rah guy, uh, and and I played seven years in Sacramento, so a lot of people didn't didn't see me play. Uh, You know, But uh, other than that, man, I, I think I had a great career. Uh, I love that every place I went, Sacramento was a tough place for me at first, but the people really, um, you know, really came out and supported our team uh, every night, even though we were losing. Uh, you know, I really truly have a place in my heart in Sacramento uh, that is very special. Mitch, before I, I let you go, do you think that someday you'll be going back to Springfield not to watch a friend get in, but to, to get in yourself? Well, I hope so. I hope so. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to if I have an opportunity to do that. I know it's it's a lot of other different critics. Uh, you know, uh, you know, actually uh, judging uh, a lot of things that I've done or a lot of things that a lot of players have done. Uh, you know, I think um, sometimes you judge a guy because uh, he didn't win a lot. 
You know, in Sacramento, seven years it took me. Well, I think one year we went to the playoffs, but um, you know, I never lost before in my career. But I think you know, you know, if you're talking about stats and numbers and and your peers, uh, I think I have that, and hopefully I have an opportunity to uh, to walk that walk like my best friend uh, uh, Chris Butler. He considered it is a basketball Hall of Fame. He had an outstanding run yeah. at Kansas State. He won yeah. two Olympic medals. You were an NBA. All-Star six times, Rookie of the Year. Uh, you were three-time All-NBA second team, two-time All-NBA third team. And so I, I think I think you got a legitimate, uh, legitimate chance there, Mitch. I really do. I hope so, Tim. I appreciate that, man. Who would have known that just a few years later we would be talking about Mitch Richmond, Hall of Famer? What a great career he had. And, and in his time, the second-best off-guard in the league, in my opinion, second only to Michael Jordan. We move on to Sharunas Marshallonis, one of the first international players to receive regular playing time in the NBA. He was drafted by the Warriors in the sixth round of the 1987 NBA draft. He moved to the NBA, though, from Lithuania in 1989. He played four years for the Warriors from 1989 through 93, averaging 14.7 points, over two rebounds, and over two assists, while shooting 52.8% from the field. He had a seven-year NBA career. We went back into our archives and found an interview with our own Jim Barnett sitting down with Sharunas. And the Warriors get it back. Scooped up by Marshallonis. He got it back off the pinball effect and rolls it home. He was hammered in. A teammate of Chris Mullen, Tim Hardaway, and Mitch Richmond in the glory days in the late 80s into the 90s. And the first player, really, that had an impact from the Soviet Union at that time, and later independence from Lithuania, Sharunas Marshallonis. Sharunas, welcome. Thank you. You came to the Warriors in 89, just as your country was being liberated from the Soviet Union. You were drafted, I believe, in 87, but didn't sign then, and they brought you over two years later. Tell us what that experience was like, coming to the United States, coming to the Golden State Warriors, and playing with stars in this league like Chris Mullen, Tim Hardaway, and of course Mitch Richmond. Oh, <clears throat> it's uh, old times of course and a tough experience. In the beginning uh, that was very difficult psychologically. I had no, no English language and, uh, and the whole training system, everything was different and uh, of course to play against best, you know, best athletes, that was, that was uh, difficult. Of course, Nelly and his method of training, you know, so that was that was tough too. But I guess in in a year or two, I I had really, really, uh, you know, had a good times, you know, and we had uh, we had a very you know, fast game, and, and and I was part of a team, and then I, I was I appreciate that uh, my teammates support me through all this, you know, tough year. First Don year. Nelson, Don Nelson, the head coach, expected a lot of you, and I remember that first year he was extremely hard on you, extremely yeah. hard. Did that yeah, help was, you? Uh, at some point, yes, because you know, coach, coach pushing you, you know, and all the time he, you know, he noticed my the mistakes, you know, and things. What, the, and at the same time, it gets to, you know, it's really how we say you, you struggle because you, you nervous, you, yes. you kind of. No, it pressures you, you know. So, and you every time you're on the floor, of course, I used to come from a bench. You know, you have to deliver. You have to bring some energy, some points. You know, if not, of course, you know you 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 know you're unhappy, and he's unhappy. And but you know, but it's good. 
What do you remember most about Chris Mullen being a teammate of his? Oh, you know, he's, you know, he's very friendly, and that's what's very important. You know, when you have always uh, a role model, you know, he's always on the treadmill uh, and uh, and uh, lift weights, you know, and then leaves last. Uh, the locker room comes first, you know. That's that's a good example, you know. And I'm like I was, we came closer later on, you know, through all this because we played in two Olympics with uh, against each other, you know, and. And then uh, you know, I lived next, not, not, not that far. So I remember when I came to his house, you know, he was with a baby on the treadmill, walking with a baby on the treadmill. <laughs> like, you know, that was <laughs> kind of different, you know. Very dedicated. So, yeah, it's very dedicated, you know. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good personality. You got better and better each year, you know, your first year, second year, third year, where you averaged nearly uh, 19 points a game. Had you ever seen a player like Tim Hardaway before in Europe at all? Anybody like that? He was, he was a very, very different type of player that had a strong personality and a lot of confidence. Yeah, his, his confidence was, uh, I mean, I was shocking. Uh, for me, it was, was a shock how, how he's uh, uh, mentally strong. And I'll give an example. Remember, maybe you, you remember too, uh, we played against in, in Utah or somewhere and he missed 16 in a row. That was a record. Right. And, and no, I'm like, I was suicide, you know, so same night, you know, I would kill myself. And, and you know, the, he, he was sitting next to me and, and in the locker room, and uh, some journalists came to ask him, you know, what are you going to do tomorrow? I'm going to shoot 17. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. And, and, he made, and he made like uh, uh, 15 or 18, something like that, yes. the next night. You right. know, so yes. it's really. How is he confidence, you know, and, and he goes into the middle, you know, and creates, and this is always uh, crossover, you know, and, and yeah, it was, it was a good time. Tell us about 1991, your second year in the league, and you go into the playoffs, and you're an underdog against San Antonio. You get down one game to zero, but you came back and you win that series in a real shocker. Yeah. What are your memories of... Uh, that particular series in 1991, as you'd had two years of experience under your belt by then. Uh, you played very well, I, by I, the way, I, in the playoffs. I remember that, you know, Danny was all the time motivating me and said, okay, here's Rooney, here's like, here's Olympics, here's Olympics. Every every game is Olympics, you know, so it's a final, like, you know, so he was really brought this, uh, you know, obviously to my attention that every, every, every step, every second, every minute, you know, this should be very. Uh, you know, evaluate it, and uh, and also this atmosphere. Atmosphere is like it gives you wings, like a, the crowd, you know. So and all these people in white, you know, and this, you know, the atmosphere is uh, is gives you lift, you know, and you want to play, play, jump out of gym. You know? So you noticed a distinct difference between the regular season yeah, and yeah, then the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. playoffs. Is people excited, you know? So you you. And you underdog, you want to beat you know better better teams and you know? it's just, it's. Well, you had a very vital impact on the team at that time. You were playing a lot of minutes, um, coming in like that. So, your confidence then must have been pretty good after after those two years and into that playoffs because uh, you had a definite imprint in the Warriors winning that series. I think that was that was. Uh my team is they were they had the confidence in me for or, uh-huh. you know when I used to come from a bench you know so I I I was looking for them try to get you know as as much to to the basket as possible and and I guess that's that's kind of camaraderie and team game 
it helped to you know it helped it helped me a lot. You would change the game. You came in and changed the game, and no one played more physically than you did. That's what I recall about you, that the physical play. Were you aware at that time of uh, the strength and the fear that you put in other players around the league? By the way, that no one wanted to guard I, I you. Never, you know, you know, my my calculation was simple. You know, so I I can I can I can be more useful for my team when I penetrate. You know, so I can pass. Maybe I get foul, or maybe I'll finish. You know, so so this outside shot is like you know, 45, 50 percent. You know, but but when you when you when you have a you know when you have a body, you know, going to the basket, you know, so that's where I think you you can deliver more. Did you sense that other NBA players on opposing teams possibly hit you a little bit harder sometimes? Yeah, some sometimes happen. Yeah, so I remember this now. I, I can, if you remember, Jim, like, there was uh, ice, and, and I played against uh, Benoit Benjamin, and he smashed yes. me with, uh, with, uh, with the elbow, and I, I like, yes, I, I extended that n neck, you know, and tried to get up, you know, and can, like, paralyzed, you know, so he brought me to, 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 the, to, the, to the locker room, you know, with no reflexes, you know, so that's why I was a little bit scared. So uh, until now, I can, I can move my neck. <laughs> uh, that's, that was some, some tough, tough. Of fouls, yeah. By the by, the by your second and third year too, and you'd broken free from the Soviet Union back home. How much did that influence you, and how much did it help you? Did you feel finally then a little freer? I know, I know, you felt not quite as free because you've been raised as a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but after your third year in the league, then did you finally feel like? Yeah, you, uh, did you finally feel? I don't. You're not an American. But did you finally feel more American, Americanized? I think first feeling that that's a uh, no responsibility for for your country, like you represent your country, and it's like it's a new new uh, it's a new history, making history as a Lithuanian. You know, I always said, you know, I'm from Soviet Union. I'm just you know, but I'm from Lithuania. Later on, you know, I said I'm Lithuanian, so it's so kind of like a history lesson a little bit for for, but uh, but. Uh, yeah, so I, I I got comfortable in 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 the you know, in, in U.S. and this lifestyle and and everything is kind of like it took a little bit while to adjust, but you know, but it's good. You chose to go back, but you've you know you made great friends here. Obviously, Chris Mullen being a very very dear friend, you were friends with uh, Manute Bull. Yeah, Manute. Your memories yeah, of Manute. Him. Yeah. Oh, we before you know, before games we played one one all the time. Always laugh. He's always always funny and and I met him last time and uh, uh, that was I think in in, in Vegas there was uh, all stars you know and and we, we talked. He was with uh, with uh, already with a stick you know and sorry to, to to lose him but you know but very warm nice memories about him. Sharunas, I really appreciate you uh, sitting down for Thank a few you. minutes, spending time with me. Good to really see you again. Thank you. You were uh, one, one um, heck of a basketball player. I'd hate you. to try to play you right now because I know this, I'm not going to arm wrestle you. <laughs> no. Sharunas Marshallonis is also contributing basketball on a daily basis by running camps and having his own academy back in Lithuania. Guy Rogers, a four-time NBA All-Star, was originally selected by the Philadelphia Warriors in the 1958 NBA draft. In eight years with the Warriors franchise, 
four in Philadelphia and four in San Francisco. He averaged 12.8 points, 8.3 assists, and 5.1 rebounds. He was an all-star three times as a member of the Golden State Warriors. He played 13 years in the NBA and led the NBA in assists two times, 1963 and 1967. He is the all-time leading assist man for the Warriors franchise, and we look back at his great career. A six-foot guard out of Philadelphia's Temple University. It was the game's first lead guards. He could score, pass, and run a team as well as anyone. Rodgers averaged nearly 12 points and eight assists from 1958 through 1970. Rodgers played with and against some of the league's brightest stars. He was a teammate of Will Chamberlain, Wayne Hightower, Al Adels, and Nate Thurmond. He played against the likes of Walt Hazard, Tom Gola, and Bill Bridges. He led the league in assists with over 10 per game in 1963. On March 14th of that same season, 1962-63, Rodgers tied the great Bob Cousy's record for assists in one game with 28. Now, it's a record that stood for nearly 15 years. In 1964, though, Rodgers was the starting point guard for the Warriors team that lost to the Boston Celtics in the NBA Finals. Former Warriors owner Franklin Muley spoke of how great that team really was. Will was playing center and Nate was a rookie, but Sherry, the mad Russian on the other side, and Alvin and Guy Rogers were in the backcourt. What a team. One of Guy's closest friends was Al Adels, and he talked about the attributes that made Guy such a great player. Guy was my was my roommate, and uh, we were very, very close. Uh, Guy was an outstanding, I didn't know him in high school. He was an outstanding high school player, uh, terrific college player at Temple. An NBA All-Star for a number of years, but uh, unfortunately, uh, it was sad in my mind because the year that Milwaukee won the championship with uh, Kareem and Oscar and, of course, my friend Wayne Embry, the general manager, Guy was traded from that team, and they won the championship. So he never was able to garner a, a the championship as a player, but uh, I, I don't think it should detract from how he was as a player. And, and like I said, my very, very good friend and teammate. Oakland native Paul Silas recalls the style of play that allowed Rodgers to excel. Well, a guy was the first, uh, one of the first small guards that uh, controlled action. He uh, was not a great shooter, but a great penetrator and um, just really played well with Wilt, as I recall. Uh, and a nice guy, really a nice guy, but uh, he was he was a tremendous player, tremendous player. Former Warriors forward Tom Macheri recently told us about what a great passer Rodgers was. He was often described as a selfless player who would sacrifice personal numbers for the betterment of the team. I think Guy was a great passer, probably one of the greatest open court passers I've ever been a part of. He would he could literally thread the needle the full length of the court. If you were on a fast break, and, and I mean, it was just simply, it wasn't simply a matter of 20 feet being between you and the passer. Uh, he could do it the whole length of the court. He was pretty astounding. He was a great player, not, a, not particularly a great shooter, but a great ball handler and one of the greats. With all of his abilities, Rodgers also had a flair, a little bit of showmanship, if you will, as Warriors television analyst Jim Barnett explains. Well, the first time I ever saw Guy Rogers was... It was either the 60-61 season or the 61-62 season because they were playing the Lakers. And, of course, the Lakers moved out from Minneapolis in 1960. So I can't remember whether I was, uh, you know, a junior or a senior in high school. But nonetheless, it was one of those two seasons. But I remember Guy Rogers coming down the floor. He's playing with Wilt Chamberlain. He was on the left side, 
and he was going full speed, and of course he could really handle the ball, but all of a sudden he went in for a layup and he threw it real hard, underhanded, off the backboard. Well, unbeknownst to me, Wilt was trailing the play. He had it all planned out. So the defender came towards him. He threw it off the backboard. Wilt came, planted at the free throw line, took that one long step, caught the ball in mid-flight between the basket and the free throw line, and jammed that thing down in a thunderous dunk. So that was the first backboard pass that I ever saw. I'd never heard of uh, a backboard pass or never seen it done, but, you know, it was he, he executed it perfectly. Wilt knew it was coming, and the timing was absolutely magnificent. Like many of the stars in the NBA who are not big of stature, Guy was told he was too short to play hoop. He stood just about six feet tall, had a stocky build, and possessed quick hands while displaying an all-around game. In 1966, he scored over 18 points a contest, had more than 10 assists, and rebounded six per night. Silas remembers seeing him go toe-to-toe with some of the league's best players. I was just getting in the league and didn't really know Guy that well at that particular point. I was playing for the St. Louis Hawks, and he and Lenny Wilkins used to go at it all the time. Here you got two left-handed guys and uh, go at each other like unbelievable. Uh, It kind of surprised me at his size that Guy was able to penetrate and get in the seams and, and score as easily as he did, but he really had a great understanding of the game. Guy Rogers was a hometown guy who got to play for his hometown professional team, living the dream. We congratulate the Rogers family. Guy, of course, no longer with us, but his backcourt mate is, and that is Warriors legend and ambassador Alvin Adels, who becomes the 42nd winner of the Bun Lifetime Achievement Award. Al has spent more than 50 consecutive years with the Warriors franchise as a player, player coach, coach, general manager, vice president, consultant, and ambassador. Five years ago in a suite before a Warriors game, I spoke with Al about his life as a warrior, a life that has spanned the two different coastlines and has spanned over half a century. Well, I'm sitting here with one of my favorite guys in, in uh, all the NBA, and that's Mr. Warrior Al Adels. You've been with this franchise now 50 years with the Warriors franchise. Back when it was in Philadelphia, you moved out west, and, and uh, I guess time flies when you're having fun. Absolutely. Uh, the most important thing about it, and the funniest thing about it, I think, is I only expected to be there one week. You know, I, I believe, you know, just being in the right place at the right time is more important than anything in life, and I just have to be in the right place. So you come into the Warriors, and there's some established stars there and some young stars there. Talk a little bit about the roster when you arrive. Well, obviously, uh, you have to start with Wilt. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Wilt and I are very, very close. Um, and then my roommate was Guy Rogers, but a guy who I was very, very fond of uh, was Paul Arizon. Uh, Paul was a perennial all-star uh, he won the top 50, obviously, just like Wilt. Um, but, but Paul was a player who, who was older than we were. So he came to work, gave his 100% of his, what he had to the effort, and then he went home every night. Now you were involved in one of the uh, great games in sports history as far as records go. Wilt Chamberlain with 100 points in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Philadelphia Warriors against the New York Knicks. Other than Wilton, the dominance, and then what we know about that night, is there any background story, any side story that you know? You'd be surprised the number of people that I've talked to over the years who said, yeah, you played in a game with a guy got 100 points and you lost the game. A lot of people think we lost the game because of how they felt about Will. We actually won the game, and that's, well, that was paramount. Number two, Will tried to come out of the game before he got to 100. And we all wanted to do what was necessary to win. And if, if he could have scored 200 points, we would have, and we won, that's all we wanted. So, 
And I remember we were sitting in the locker room, one of those old-time locker rooms, and I was sitting next to him. And the water was coming down, he had a statue. And he just kept shaking his head like this. And I'm going, big fellow, what's the matter? He said, I never thought I would take 60 shots in a ball game. And I, you know, being a math major myself, I said, yeah, but you, you made 36 of them, which is better than 50%. But he was really, really, you know, upset that he had taken that many shots. And, uh, and what was our star? And, and nobody complained about it. We were all happy because the more he shined, the better chance we had to win. And that's all we were there for. The Tinkas order, after a couple of years, Will Chamberlain gets traded. How hard was that for you because of how close you and Wilt were? Well, you know, it really it really hurt because Wilt and I and Guy, the three of us like, you know, the three, three amigos, so to speak. And uh, the one thing that was very interesting about that trade, Wilt had this Rolls Royce, and he tells me, I'm going to let you keep this car for the, for the year. I'm going, no big fella, I'm not going to drive that car. And I told him, I said, here's what I'm going to do. I said, we're going to park this car somewhere. Because, and then he said, why? He said, you can, you know, you can use it. And you, you know, I said, but I said, well, think about this. Suppose I get a scratch on it. It's going to cost more than I make to get it fixed. And so we didn't do it. But, uh, you know, he was, you know, I could tell stories about him, uh, you know, things that he did that people would just not believe. Uh, but he, as we say, he's bigger than life. Let's uh, now go to the next step because that okay. trade actually opened Nate the Thurman. door for Nate Thurman yeah, to play. Right? And uh, one of the greats of all time. In yeah. fact, we were just in Cleveland. His number's retired there. Oh, everywhere. Even, yeah, <laughs> even though he only played a couple of years. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. But uh, what kind of a, a player, what kind of a guy was Nate like during his career? Nate was, he was, he was an interesting guy in that <clears throat> Nate would cover up for everybody. I don't care what happened. And, he would, you know, if he got fouls on him or whatever, but he really believed in that, that theory of the center being your last line of defense. And, you know, he, he, he just was a great teammate. My biggest, my biggest uh, complaint, you know, was the fact that when we did finally win a championship, uh, Nate was not here. But, uh, but I really felt badly about that. How did you get that nickname, the Destroyer? Very simple. Very, you know, it, you know, back then guys used to make up stuff, and, and seriously, and I'll tell you how it happened. We were playing in Boston, they had, there was a loose ball, it came off and the loose ball was loose. And there's three of us going for loose ball, Dolph Shaves, Tom Gola, and Al Adel. We all were trying to get the ball, and, we hit, and there was a pileup, bang, and we all hit. Gola gets knocked down, and Dolph Shaves gets knocked down, and his jaw gets broken. They were in the locker room afterwards, and Larry Costello says to Dolph, he said, boy, you got hit by the destroyer. <laughs> now, all of a sudden, I'm the destroyer, and I'm going, where'd this come from? <laughs> I know where it came from. They figure, okay, who are we going to give it to? The little, little guy from Newark who, who's not going to be in the league long, give it to that guy, so that's the way it happened. Al Adels currently has the longest active streak of consecutive service to one organization, 54 years of work with the Warriors. The class of 2014 will be enshrined during festivities in Springfield, Massachusetts on Friday, August the 8th. If you're anywhere near the Basketball Hall of Fame, I encourage you to stop by and check it out. It's truly an experience that every basketball fan has to go through at least once in their lifetime. When we continue on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable, oh, the places you'll go. Maybe you'll be counting one fish, two fish, red fish, blue, or maybe you stole Christmas. 
You'll have to stay tuned to find out, though, on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable on KMBR 680, the sports leader. Elevation sensation for Harrison Barnes. Golden State Warriors basketball. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. Warriors guard Steve Blake, hype man Franco Finn, and the Warrior Girls hosted a Read to Achieving rally. They did not dilly. They did not dally. It was presented by Ross Doors at San Jose's Majestic Way Elementary School to get the kids excited about reading. There was no cajoling. There was no pleading. Why am I speaking in such a way? It was because Steve Blake and the Warriors celebrated the day. What was this day? Well, the birthday of Dr. Seuss, and it's only celebrated in this way. By grabbing a book and sitting on a mat and reading the lines from Cat in the Hat. They finished their day with a piece of cake. But I think that eating tradition may be a fake. And I'm not talking about a yam covered with jam. Because the only way to celebrate Dr. Seuss is with green eggs and ham. Reading is extremely important. It's a way to have an imagination. It's a way to learn. It's a way for me as a basketball player to, to learn about the people I'm playing against. And so it's uh, something you'll be using your entire life. The more you do now, the, the better it'll be for you later on. Cat in the hat right here. I sat there with Sally. We sat there and we too. And I said, how I wish we had something to do. Too wet to go out and too cold to play ball. So we sat in the house. We did nothing at all. So all we could do was to sit, 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 sit. And we did not like it. Not one little bit. And then something went bump. How that bump made us jump. We looked, then we saw him step in on the mat. We looked and we saw him, the cat in the hat. And he said to us, why do you sit there like that? I know it is wet and the sun is not sunny, but we can have lots of good fun that is funny. The Read to Achieve program is just a wonderful, wonderful program to encourage kids to read and promote literacy, especially in elementary schools, and it creates so much energy around reading and literacy, and the kids get so excited to associate basketball and reading with each other. Golden State Warriors basketball. Splash another one. Steph Curry from distance, his seventh three-pointer of the game. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. Warriors Bucks. Time now to answer your questions on Warriors Vox. That's Warriors V-O-X. I'm Tim Roy, and we always appreciate you uh, chiming in on Twitter or sending me an email at TimRoy, T-I-M-R-O-Y-E, at Warriors.com. Let's get right to your questions tonight. And first of all, Quee Tennis wants to know if David Lee misses the playoffs, will Draymond Green's defense make up for the offense lost? Are we a better team with Draymond? Well, I, I don't think you can discount David Lee so quickly. He's such a good player, and the the ball moves when he's on the floor. He's a good passer, a willing passer, runs the pick and roll well with uh, Steph Curry. And remember that you know one of the things that the uh, the Warriors get when they have their full squad is that they have five guys who are willing passers, and the ball really moves. How many times has that starting group come out and set the tone for a game early on? They might not be able to sustain it on certain nights, but they really come out and get the Warriors off to a great start. However, you know Draymond Green gives Mark Jackson 
options. And he knows that he can start Draymond Green in a playoff situation and be just fine. In fact, after the game the other night against the Utah Jazz, Mark Jackson had these comments about Draymond Green and how he helps the Warriors not only on the defensive end, but also on the offensive end. The thing I love about Draymond is he's a big-time screen setter. He creates openings because he constantly headhunts to get guys open. And then he dives to the hoop off of those screens. And it makes us extremely difficult to defend. Uh, And then he's unselfish. Uh, He's a guy, whether he dives to the hoop or pops at the three-point line, he's a playmaker out of that. So it gives us a different weapon. We have a couple of questions concerning Festus Azili, so I'll wrap uh, them into one. We've got, I think we've had more questions about Festus than maybe any other player this year. Uh, he is back working on basketball drills. He has not been given the clearance to go full contact in practice, but it is, as they say, a work in progress, and we will know. Will he be ready for the playoffs? I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, certainly having him available, even if he's ready for limited duty in the playoffs, uh, that would be a big plus for Golden State. I think that would be huge uh, for the Warriors to have another center out there. And remember, when, when Festus is healthy, he was a big part of what happened here uh, last year. Well, Galder PG wants to know, have we any chance, in your opinion, to finish the regular season above the Trailblazers? Thanks. And uh, Well, you're welcome, first of all. Uh, secondly, yes, they do have a chance to win uh, and, and to move up in the standings. Very much so. They're only a game and a half back of Portland. Portland's played one more game. The Warriors start four games in five nights on Thursday night, and those are all four winnable games. The key point is, if Golden State's a game back going into the game Sunday in Portland, and the Warriors win, they move up because they would have won the season series from the Trailblazers three games to one. That's a huge game on Sunday night. And I think I think that game will decide whether or not the Warriors you know, either go to five or stay where they are in six. So I, I think it's, it's a real key game. And, yes, the Warriors have a great chance to move up in the standings and to become uh, the number five seed in the Western Conference. Thank you so much for all your questions at Warriors Vox and T-I-M-R-O-Y-E at the Warriors website, warriors.com. A quick reminder that Warriors 2014 playoff tickets are going on sale soon. Get individual playoff pre-sale access by joining the Warriors priority wait list or becoming a Warriors insider by texting playoffs to 53548. That's playoffs to 53548. Or call one triple GSW hoop and press option number one. It's a one-time message, and message and data rates may apply. Agreement to receive a text message is not a condition of purchasing a good or service. Stick around. The Warriors Weekly Roundtable continues. Sean Powell of Sports on Earth talking about Rick Barry, the underhanded free throw, and where Mark Jackson and the Warriors are headed in the upcoming postseason. That's coming your way on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable on KMBR 680, the sports leader. Golden State Warriors basketball. Left side, Bogut, touch pass to David Lee. Two-hand, rim-racker for Lee. We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. Well, the Warriors Weekly Roundtable continues. It is a pleasure to welcome the uh, great writer Sean Powell, who writes for Sports on Earth, which features some... uh, of great names, including our own uh, Gwen Knapp from the uh, Bay Area, as well as many others, Lee Monteith, and you could just go on and on and on with a number of, of great writers that write for Sports on Earth. But, Sean, thank you so much. You're a former uh, president of the Basketball Writers Association, 
Uh, so I would imagine at this time of the year, March Madness just concluded last night, and the NBA playoffs are right ahead of us, that this has to be a, a great time of year for you. Well, it is, because you. Uh, I think we're starting to get a little more buzz about the playoffs, particularly in the Western Conference, where you had so much competition. And right from the start, the very first round, you're going to have compelling matchups. Uh, good styles, uh, teams that know each other very well, so there are no secrets. And uh, I just think, particularly in the West, I think every round is going to be some sort of compelling matchup that's going to go six or seven games. Sean, t- tell me a little bit about the, how you see the Warriors. You were out here a couple of weeks ago. You talked to Mark Jackson, and and the, the Warriors have a, a, a talented group. And I think the biggest misconception about the team is everybody looks at the, the three-point shooting and, and uh, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, and they were fabulous on, on Sunday. But this is really a defensive team first. Yes, it can be also. Uh, I, I think part of the inconsistency with the, with the Warriors is that sometimes you just really didn't know what kind of team would show up. Is it going to be the team that played so well last year in the playoffs and they really caught fire, uh, beat Denver, gave the Spurs all sorts of trouble? Um, or is it going to be the team that there are some stretches of this season where they just sort of disappeared? Um, and, you know, I know there have been some injuries. Uh, and I, I, I know some players really haven't played up their capabilities. Maybe Harrison Barnes, is, is he bothered? by the addition of Andre Iguodala and whether or not, you know, what his role is there. Uh, but we do know how good this team can be when they're on their game and the shots are falling. What we don't know is if they can put that together for a good run in the playoffs like they had last spring. Sean, I know that recently you had a chance to uh, work on a piece involving a video on, on Sports on Earth and, and involving Rick Barry and the underhanded free throw. And first of all, give me your thoughts on that and why do you think it's never caught on? There are two iconic shots in NBA history, shots that were almost flawless. Uh, one was the Skyhawk, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. The other is the underhand free throw, Rick Barry. I mean, this is a guy who was a 90% career free throw shooter. But no one ever adopted either shot. I know Magic Johnson had the junior-junior Skyhawk, but that doesn't count, even though he hit it in a big game. But no, one's, no big man has really tried to develop a nice hook shot. Right. Uh, and the same thing with the free throw. Um, and now, you have some players who are just really struggling from the line. When you're shooting 50 and 60%, it might be time to try something else. But one thing in doing this and researching the story and talking with Rick is that players really don't want to look silly. You know, they're really aware of how they may look like if they were, they look like a little kid out there shooting unhand free throws. And if they don't have success with it early on, then they will just totally run away with it. You know, I know you had Andre's Beadrins a few Correct. years ago, and yep. his free throw shooter dropped, but no player has decided to adopt this, this shooting form. You know, I always thought that if someone like Shaq had done it, someone someone who is a, a star type player who, who struggled from the free throw line, I thought if a player like that would have embraced it and and at least got himself into the you know sixties or seventies, then I think other big men would do it. And usually big men are the guys who have trouble uh, from the free throw line. I think partially because their hands are so big, it's like shooting a volleyball or a softball for them. But, but, uh, and, and so, you know, I always thought that if they could have gotten that kind of endorsement, because, you know, Rick, Rick is a great guy. I love Rick, but, but he's also, you know, he's an outspoken guy. And I thought that was also maybe in part why other players didn't do it, because they didn't want to look silly, and, and the only guy doing it 
was a guy who always told you his you know his thoughts. Yes, exactly, and it's it's interesting you you raised the the issue of Shaq. Uh, Rick actually went to Shaq and suggested, as only Rick can suggest, as you know, that maybe Shaq should try something new. And apparently, Shaq something happened there. Whatever Shaq bristled, and then when reporters went to Shaq and asked him, you know, why don't you try Rick Barry's method? You know, Shaq sort of sent some barbs towards Rick. Said Rick can't touch my career, and who is he to try to tell me how to shoot free throws and blah blah blah. So yeah, you're right. I think if there was that one player uh, who, you know, we're talking an all-star potential great player who happened to be a bad free throw, who adopted the underhand shot and had success with it, then maybe others would follow. You have to understand one thing right now. Rick Barry retired, what, 20, 25 years ago? You know, today's athletes, they really don't even know who he is. Right. And they barely know anything about the underhand free throw. So he is not visible. Rick is not visible enough for certain players in their teens, early 20s, to try to adopt that style. It's sort of forgotten. And I think it's the same thing with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and the Skyhawk. Sean Powell's our guest from Sports on Earth. I'm Tim Roy, and we continue. Of course, Sean, a longtime uh, newspaper writer for covering uh, both events in New York. You also were down in Miami at one point. And, and I'm going to switch gears a little bit here from talking about Rick Barry and the underhanded free throw, I'm a big Game of Thrones fan. And in Game of Thrones, they have this uh, one character, they call him the Kingslayer. Well, I'm going to throw this one at you. Andrew Bynum, the franchise wrecker. Uh, he's, <laughs> he, he fools around with, with uh, Mike Brown's authority in, in Los Angeles, so they trade him to get Dwight Howard. That doesn't work, so now the Lakers have to blow everything up. They have the second-worst record in the, in the West. He goes to Philadelphia, doesn't play. He does flamingo dance in Spain, and so they have to blow up their team and move on. So he goes to Cleveland. They're supposed to be a playoff team. He screws around there. He, now he goes to Indiana, and they're in the, they're heading backwards instead of going forwards, and maybe a chance to win it all. Any any credence to my theory? Are you trying to say he's a, got a little bit of a black hat or bad luck? <laughs> I think so. I mean, you I think so. It's it's up to like five or six franchises now. You know, I can kind of relate because in my journalism career. You know, I was in St. Louis, and the newspaper folded. Went to Dallas, and that newspaper eventually folded. Went to Miami. Now, the Miami Herald didn't fold, but the competition folded. Went to New York, <laughs> and so on and so forth. So, uh, yeah, you know, you, you would think that teams would stay away from Bynum only because it's clear he can't play. Forget, forget the bad luck stuff. Right. It's clear that he cannot sustain a segment of the, of the season and will probably not give you any hope for the playoffs. I mean, at, at most, you can play him, what, five, ten minutes a game? But if he's not playing right now for the Pacers, then I think there's absolutely no hope that he will be w- with them uh, when, uh, say, right, right around the conference finals, if the Pacers get there, by the way, and they meet Miami. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I think one of the – to me, the only reason I could, I could see them making that kind of move, Sean, was maybe they were afraid that, that Miami was going to snap him up and somehow I, rejuvenate yeah. him. That could have been the case, although I think early on Miami pretty much said that, you know, Greg Oden is our medical guy. We don't need to. Uh, I think with the Pacers, I think they just said, you know what, let's try to get an embarrassment of riches as much as we can. You know, that's why they also made a trade for Evan Turner to bring him in there. Let's get as many capable bodies as we can in here, and we'll just figure out playing time as we go. We'll figure out how it fits as we go. Uh, but so far, you look at Bynum, not only has Bynum not worked out, Evan Turner has been 
pretty much a disaster since he arrived from Philadelphia. And that came as a little bit of a surprise because Danny Granger really wasn't able to give him some quality minutes, at least not 20 quality minutes. But yet I think they missed his presence in the locker room, if nothing else. Sean Powell's our guest on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. I'm Tim Roy. Uh, Warriors and Denver on Thursday, starring a back-to-back. Warriors will go to play the Lakers in L.A. on Friday. Uh, Sean, I've gotten my email now from the league office. I'm going to be doing my voting here soon, so help me out a little bit. I'm I'm getting barraged. I've gotten an Al Jefferson paint can from Charlotte. I've got a Dwight Howard cape from Houston, a James Harden beard grooming kit, even though I don't have a beard. Uh, MVP this year, that's the one I'm, I'm looking at right away because... You know, I, I, you know, LeBron's LeBron, and he is the best player on the planet. There's no question about it. I love how he plays. He plays so unselfishly, and 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 uh, he plays the game the right way. But it's hard to ignore, you know, what Kevin Durant is doing this year. And uh, and you know, guess you know, a lot of it is scoring. But to me, I, I just I just look at Kevin Durant, and I'm, I'm wondering if he's having a better year. Well, Tim, first of all, you know, when you have two MVP candidates like that and it's kind of close, don't you think Miami or Oklahoma City would be sending us something from those those cities? Like Miami, some sand or some sunshine or something, and <laughs> Oklahoma City gives us a Kevin a Kevin Durant barbecue, something, right? Something. Does this kind of sway something. our vote? It's anyway, the vote. It's the, Amer- it's the American way to lobby, you know? It, it, <laughs> exactly. You know, I, anyway, um, I want to be corrupted. But anyway, yes. Uh, I think that, uh, look, Kevin Durant's going to get my vote, and here's why. Number one, this is no fault of LeBron. I think Kevin Durant plays tougher competition night in and night out by virtue of being in the West. Okay? Number two, uh, Russell Westbrook. Him missing actually helped Kevin Durant's candidacy. Because Kevin Durant all of a sudden had to be the guy, no questions, as taking the, the tough shots in the fourth quarter winning games, which we saw in January and February. Finally, uh, there are only three other players who averaged 32 points, seven rebounds, and six assists in a single season, and LeBron wasn't one of them. Uh, so that's a, you know, Le- this season by Kevin Durant, which is his best season, I would think would even be comparable to a lot of LeBron's best seasons. Uh, and finally, his team is doing very well. They're, you know, within striking range, I guess, of the Spurs, although you might want to concede the West right now anyway. But Kevin Durant has been playing at a high level all season long really hasn't had any lapses, had a terrific January and February, has a sensational season that only three other players have had. Uh, and I know this is the old argument that he's not the best player in the NBA. That was the kind of argument we had with Michael Jordan when Charles Barkley won, when, when Carl Malone won. But I think this is a year when Kevin Durant really has been special. And I think if you asked LeBron James, and if he was honest, he would say, hey, you know what, I have no problem with Durant winning. Yeah, it's, it's great. And what's funny is uh, you watch the two of them, and I think they're both great for each other because it, 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 they fuel each other. You know, I think the, I guarantee you that when LeBron, you know, gets on a smartphone, looks at box scores from, from other games when he's on an airplane or whatever, he's looking at Oklahoma City to see what Kevin Durant does. And likewise, when Durant uh, does the same thing about LeBron, I think it's great they push each other because it's just bringing out the, the best of both of them. Uh, Sean, coach of the year, with a with a, a nod towards Steve Clifford of Charlotte and uh, and Dwayne Casey of Toronto, as well as Terry Stotts in Portland. I, I don't think you can can go away from the great job that Jeff Hornacek has done in Phoenix. Well, I'm going to disagree with you here. Um, okay. I think uh, Greg Popovich has 
really done a bang-up job in, in San Antonio. Oh. Here, and, and, and here's why. By the way, every coach you just mentioned, Hornacek would be my number two choice. Terry Stotts would be my number three choice. Uh, but let's talk about Pop for a second. First of all, that team has to come back this season from a crushing, crushing seven-game uh, series uh, loss in the championship to Miami. Okay, so he has to pick those spirits up again. They're shattered. Um, he gets uh, he loses Gary Neal, um, who was a, a very important player for them, uh, and then um, Kawhi Leonard is out for what about almost a month, uh, and then finally yeah, close he still that, yeah. has to, and he still has to give Kim Duncan furloughs. You know, missing a game here, a game there. There are times when the when the you know he, Pop would just have Tony Parker and four guys who would you would never even think would be capable of winning basketball games. He had those guys on the floor as a starting five. And yet he peels off this, what, 18-19 game win streak in a very tough Western Conference, by the way. Very tough Western Conference. That's impressive. And he soars to the top of that conference uh, with some room to spare. Not a lot of room, but with some room to spare. Uh, because his, his, his uh, lineup was sort of, you know, in and out all season long, because he, he he's very good at coaching up role players and getting them to understand to play within the system. Uh, I just think that, you know, and I know he's won it before, and I know when you have Tim Duncan, it's easy to do that, and blah, blah, blah. I just I just think he had a very, very impressive year. One other thing about Hornacek, by the way, mm-hmm. he may, his team may not even make the playoffs. Uh, and, and, and I'm not trying to dismiss him or anything like that. He, he's, he's done a very good job. I actually think Ryan McDonough, the general manager down there, should be GM executive of the year. Uh, Jeff Hornacek had a great year, and I'm not taking anything away from him, but his team may not make the playoffs. Yeah, it's interesting. The the uh, the Suns have a lot of people don't realize they have three first round draft picks this year. That that yeah. that's remarkable. That trade they made with Indiana was was really really good. Hey, Sean, we uh, we really appreciate your time, and I know you're you're traveling, but let me get one last thing in it because you brought it up about Game 6 last year for San Antonio. Greg Popovich told us when he was in town that, you know, not a day goes by that he doesn't, you know, think about it at some point. Do they have to sort of exercise that that demon by going back and winning this year? I mean, can they do that? I would probably say there'd be a little bit more urgency if Tim Duncan only had maybe one NBA championship or two NBA championships. Uh, So I think he's okay in that situation. But there is an urgency in that. I'm not so sure how much longer Duncan's going to play. This could be his last year. And, and same, by the way, can go for Greg Popovich. Uh, so I think, at the very least, they have to get back to the Western Conference Finals. Um, I, I, I don't think in this season, this season I don't think there's, there are any guarantees. But let's, I would say the Spurs are one of four teams that can win a title. And if they play the way they've been playing all season, and if Pop still has them up for these games, uh, I have. I would not be surprised if they not only get back to the NBA Finals, but win this time and take care of the situation in Game Six. Yeah, they they are they have the best point differential in the league by far, eight point five. I mean that that's remarkable. That means you're just taking care of business every uh, single night. Uh, Sean, we really appreciate it. If people want to follow you on Twitter. How would they do so? Uh, I'm at uh, Powell, the, the number two, D A people. Powell to the people. 
You like that, Mr. Roy? Huh? I, I like that. I like that. <laughs> the, the, you know, it's 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 funny. Uh, the uh, uh, the other day, I was t- talking with Andre Iguodala. He had to negotiate to get at Andre, but he did. He found somebody who had it and and negotiated that away. I guess a signed jersey or something. But but uh, that yeah. that was, that was a pretty. That's a that's a really good one. I like yours a lot. Hey, uh, by the way, if you haven't been to Sports on Earth, you do need to check it out. Some great writing and some great thoughts there, as well as some videos we mentioned. You want to go there and check out the Rick Barry video. And uh, Sean, thank you so much. Safe travels, and we hope to uh, see you at Oracle for a playoff game. Well, I hope you can have me back on your show. I, it was I had a good time, and uh, I wish you all the best. What a pleasure to uh, talk with Sean Powell here on the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. Don't forget, you could join the Warriors for a Splash Brothers night, filtered by Britta, this Thursday, April 10th, when the Warriors take on the Denver Nuggets. Buy your tickets right now and have the chance to receive a Splash Brothers cheer card plus a three-point foam finger courtesy of Britta. Get your official Splash Brothers night tickets at warriors.com slash dynamic. We'll look ahead to that game and the rest of the schedule as we continue on KMBR 680, the sports leader. Golden State Warriors basketball. Draymond goes to work with three, with two, runner, right hand flip on the rim and down! Draymond Green! We now continue with more of Warriors Roundtable. Time out for the upcoming broadcast is brought to you by Cash Creek Casino Resort. Uh, starting with Thursday night, it is the Splash Brothers night. Filtered by Britta, first 10,000 fans receive a Splash Brothers cheer card, courtesy of Britta, as the Warriors take on the Manimal, Kent Fareed, and the Denver Nuggets. Wall down the lane, layup blocked by Fareed! Loose ball out to Jordan Hamilton, off to Nate Robinson. Denver has the numbers here. Robinson, bounce pass Fareed, dunk with two hands! Kenneth Fareed bench to start the second half, does it on both ends for Denver. Nuggets have a one-point lead with 32 seconds to go. 7 o'clock, the airtime with the pregame show. Tom Tobert alongside Warriors and the Denver on Thursday. Friday in Los Angeles, the back end of the back-to-back as the Warriors take out the Lakers for the final time this year. And we're on Canby R 1050. We get moved to 1050 on Friday when the Warriors take on Pau Gasol and the Lakers. Throws it right side to him. Deli to Gasol slammed up. Good-looking break for the Lakers. Another 7 o'clock airtime, Warriors and Lakers, again on KBR 1050. We're moved off 680 on Friday night, so we're moved to 1050 on Friday. And then we come back to KBR 680 for the big game in Portland. 530 is the airtime as the Warriors take on Damian Lillard and the Trailblazers. Roberts has it back now for the Pelicans. Roberts, well, Lillard picked his pocket clean. A just to try to catch it. Jams it! Lillard with 15. And the Blazers by 12. Damian Lillard, another in the long line of great point guards out of Oakland. And then Monday, another back-to-back for the Warriors. Four games and five nights. Ends with Minnesota. 7 o'clock, the pregame show on KMBR 680. As Golden State will try to box out Kevin Love. Here's Ricky on the right side. He's triple-teamed. Trying to get rid of it. Buttinger's got it. Swings it left side low. Pump fakes a three. Bosch is right on it. Now Love will rise up for the three, and he got it. Oh, big-time answer by Kevin Love. The Wolves needed that in a big way. 
It is a fan night powered by Adobe. All fans receive a fan night t-shirt courtesy of Adobe, Warriors and Minnesota at 7 o'clock. We have one more roundtable to bring to you before our draft to preview roundtable, and that is going to come on Thursday the 17th as of right now. But stay tuned. That show may be moved because of playoff scheduling. So stay tuned here on KBR 680 for further details about that. I'm Tim Roy, thanking our guest Sean Powell, thanking Sharunas Marshallonis, and also Mitch Richmond. They have both made the Hall of Fame. We also want to thank the producer with whom you can never text about live events because he watches everything on TiVo. That is R.C. Davis. Dave Feldhouse at the controls of KBR 680, and he'll be helping out Ray Woodson, who's taking your calls and comments right now at 808 KBR. You can talk to him about the NBA playoffs. Do it right now. 808 KBR, the number. I, Tim Roy, for the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. We'll talk to you Thursday from Oracle starting at 7 o'clock here on KBR 680, the sports leader. Golden State Warriors basketball. Stolen by Iguodala. Right to Clay Thompson. Back to Iguodala. One dribble goes to the rim. And he scores with the right hand. For tickets, go to warriors.com. Or call 1-888-GSW-HOOP.